Hank. Coming to you live from the Vegas Video Network Studios, just steps from the Las Vegas Strip, it's Top of the Food Chain. And now your host, he's one part mohawk, two parts attitude, and a touch of what the f***, it's Al Mancini. Wow. That was just silence. That was harsh, man. Scott, if you don't cue them, they don't do it, man. Do that's you, you, no, that's yeah, okay. Okay, we can try it again. Okay. There you go. That's what we needed. We need Scott doing his Cookie Monster meets Death Metal voice, man. That was great, Scott. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Welcome to Top of the Food Chain on the Vegas Video Network. I am your host, Al Mancini. Today, thinking of proclaiming myself kind of the way Howard Stern once did, I'm, I'm the king of all food critics. No, you know what? The king. You know, I was raised a good Catholic boy. I went to 16 years of Catholic school. I always wanted to be the Pope when I was little, my mom tells me. So I'm going to be the Pope of all food critics with one big difference. When visiting Dick Wow, what happened? My mic is back. In the middle of my joke, really. I was, I was setting myself up. It is. It's rough, man. Anyway, I am the Pope of all food critics because when visiting dignitaries go to visit the Pope, foreign dignitaries, the president, whoever, they have to kiss his ring. When visiting food dignitaries come to Las Vegas now, they must kiss my mohawk. And you can see right there, Joel Robichon kissing the mohawk, paying tribute to me, the Pope of all food critics. How great is that, man? Come on. Joel Robichon kissing the mohawk. Anyway, um, we'll get more about Joel in just a second. But first, very, very excited right now, and we've got cookies. Um, Bread and Butter, our longtime sponsor, will be sponsoring the show, I guess, for another few months. Thank you so much. Chris Heron here in the audience. He brought us cookies to celebrate our continuing partnership. Always wonderful to hang out with one of, the, um, one of the great chefs here in Las Vegas and one of the guys who is really at the forefront, along with my guests today, um, but a, a few guys who really took the skills of the strip and are taking them out into the suburbs. And if you want a great neighborhood bakery, incredible pastries, wonderful sandwiches for lunch, Bread and butter on Eastern Avenue. I mean, this is a guy that worked for, for Bouchon, Bouchon's world-renowned bakery for, um, forever there. So it's great to have Chris as a sponsor one more time. And um, big announcement, which I'm thrilled to make, Meat and Three, his new restaurant that he will be, um, he'll be starting right next door. Not right next door. It's two doors down, Chris? Six doors down. Six doors down, but right down. Whoa, man, I'm dropping things. Anyway. Um, just down from Bread and Butter, we've got Meat and Three, and it's going to be, I guess, Southern Influence. That's a big I'm not from the South. They kind of scare me down there sometimes. They don't like my haircut, but um, apparently Meat and Three is a reference to just a good old-fashioned diner, and he's going to be doing good old-fashioned Southern diner food, and that's going to be open in a few months. Keep your eyes out. We will be talking about it here, obviously, right here on top of the food chain. So... Again, Chris, thank you one more time. Thank you. He's got the all kinds of macaroons here. We've got, you know, we've got purple, green, pink coffee. But um, I am just hoping that you included the same bug, ground bug mixture in your pink cookies that they use at Starbucks because that's all natural, man, and I love that. 
Oh man, beetlelicious. Just don't say Beetlejuice three times while you're eating it. Mm. I will be back in a moment. Oh, one, one bit of bad news. Um, Vic Vegas was supposed to be with us today. Vic gave me a phone call yesterday. Um, he had to go to Los Angeles. Could not tell me why he was going to Los Angeles. Scott, I hear they make some TV shows in Los Angeles, don't they? I don't believe that at all. No, well, I have been told that maybe there are TV shows that are done in Los Angeles, so perhaps that has something to do with it, but he wouldn't tell me why. Vic will be here next week, but do check him out on Chopped um, All-Stars this week. He's, um, he's going to be one of the competitors representing Vegas. So sorry we don't have him. We do have Sheridan Sue, one of our great other great local chefs. Sheridan will be out in a minute, but first, I'm going to figure out what's going on with my microphone, and I'll be right back. Traditional media believes that after about three minutes, you'll tune out. Most Vegas media companies think if it doesn't jiggle, you won't tune in. At the Vegas Video Network, we think both are wrong. The Vegas Video Network is the first and only live online broadcast network that specializes in insider news and expert views about Vegas. We combine great storytelling with the ability to watch when and where you want on your computer, mobile device, or television. Discover the real Las Vegas. Visit VegasVideoNetwork.com. No pressure. Hi, I'm... Hi, I'm Dennis Silvers from, can't think of the name of my damn show. Golf and other four-letter words, and you're watching the Vegas Video Network, I think. And we're back on the Vegas Video Network with Top of the Food Chain. I'm Al Mancini. I think all the people crawling around near my crotch have left, so that's always, I guess, a sign that it's time to start your job. Just ask the U.S. Secret Service about that one. Um, anyway, one thing I forgot to mention, you know, I wanted to talk a bit about Robichon being here in town. Um, the master, you know, the chef of the century, Joel Robichon, was here again. He comes about four times a year because he has two incredible restaurants here in Las Vegas. Just, I want to give you a little glimpse behind the scenes and some of the funny stuff about having him here. I showed you him kissing the Mohawk, which was great, but, you know, he was signing copies of his new book. And, you know, we've got a picture here with um, Grace Bascos, one of our great local food writers. She works for Las Vegas 7, Vegas Rated. There you'll see her having her picture taken um, up at one of the Skylofts. But, you know, Mr. Robichon came, and it was great. He's got a great new book. But I have to tell you, it's hysterical to me, this new book, because he is the author of what I consider one of the absolute finest um, food books in the world. And this is kind of a, um, this is sort of a Bible if you're a foodie. You know, this is the, the complete Joel Robichon. I, this, to me, there are two books that you go to if you're not a master chef or if you are a master chef. You go to this and the joy of cooking whenever you're stumped on something. I mean, and you can learn anything in this book. I mean, you know, just, you know, funny things. If you're choosing a rabbit, it'll tell you on page 499, a good rabbit is compact and clean with a generously sized saddle, a pale splotch-free liver, rosy flesh, and a very white fat around the loin and kidneys, which should be visible. I've never had to use that bit of advice, but I love it. 800 pages, not a single picture in this book. It's an incredible book. This was his last book. This is the one that I fell in love with, but he got a few complaints. It was, it was too big. There were no photos. It was too confusing. No, no, we see this, right? 800 pages, right? This is a huge book. New book, which we came to um, check out the other day. The Best of Robichon. Not quite as big. 
there we go. We got we we have big book, little book. <laughs> so um, Mr. Robichon apparently decided, but what what he did with this is his ten best recipes, and I mean just photos showing you step by step how to do every single step in in creating these recipes. So this is awesome. I just think it's absolutely hysterical seeing how he changed from one to the other. Um, this one is called The Best of Robichon, just translated into English from French. It's not on Amazon unless you speak French. You can get it on Amazon in French. Um, if you go to Elaine, Chef Elaine Ducasse's website, Elaine Ducasse has his own little book imprint, and he has put this one out, The Best of Robichon. Again, thanks to the chef of the century for not only kissing the mohawk, but being one of the coolest guys I've ever hung with, and for making books little for those of us with short attention spans. Thank you very much, Chef. Which leads us to today's guest, Sheridan Sue, one of the coolest, hippest chefs in Las Vegas right now. Thank you. How are you? Thanks for having me here. And you have worked for Mr. Robichon. Yes, I have. Awesome, awesome kitchen. Yeah, and I want to get into that in a little bit, but just to bring people kind of up to date to where you are, um, you're at a restaurant right now called Great Bow. Yes. Great Bow Cafe. I want to show a few pictures of this because this is the craziest restaurant in Las Vegas. Um, and, you know, the New York Times asked me about it when they were out here. And um, my friend uh, Chris Cognac, who used to be on the Food Network, uh -huh. asked me about it when he was visiting out here. Everybody wants to know about Great Bow Cafe. Scott, can we show the exterior shot of Great Bow? There it is, in touch salon and spa. It looks like a place I'd spend time for different reasons, like coloring this thing. It's not my salon, by the way. But, um, okay, so we go inside. And when you walk through the doors, there you are. That's where they check in the people on the right there. No, that, on the left, excuse me. The, right. that, that's the yeah. That's, there's the receptionist, excuse me, on the right. And on the left are your tables. And then past that is a place where they sell hair care products, right? Yes. And, and you have two tables, two seats each. And then when you turn that corner, if you kind of circle around that receptionist desk, here you are, and you've got a little bar with two more seats. So you seat six people here. Six people total, that's it. That is the wackiest restaurant in all of Las Vegas. I mean, and we've got some wacky stuff here in Las Vegas. That's, that's a little weird, man. Trust me, those six feet, I had to fight for it, too. The salon wasn't going to have me you know, putting people inside the salon. <laughs> so I really had to fight for it. And some of your seats. plates don't really even fit on <laughs> that table. I mean, those tables are small. <laughs> Bring out the bow on that nice, you know, long paddle, and it kind of hangs off the edge sometimes if there's too much stuff. It's, it, it's absolutely insane. And there are the bow, which we'll get into what they are. But, and bow, basically Chinese sandwiches is a, a simple, simple way to put it. But we'll get into that. How did a man go from working in the kitchen of the chef of the century, Joel Robuchon, to being the hippest guy in Vegas working out of a hair salon with six seats. Well, you know, I've been in Vegas for about seven years now. Um, you know, really came to a point where it said, no more. Yeah, I'm not going to work, you know, for anybody else. Um, I've been through so many things, uh, working for really good chefs, really good kitchens. And, you know, at my last place of employment, it was just, you know, that's it. And I said I wasn't going to work for anybody else, and that's how really Great Bow was born. And so you went, and we'll, I want to go through this a little bit step by step. Um, you know, Robichon, I guess, was your first Las Vegas restaurant, right? Yes. And then you went from Robichon, and then you went from there to, um, to Social House, Social House yes. one of our great Asian restaurants here in town, um, Asian fusion maybe you'd call it. Yes. But, you know, the original Social House, very hip, trendy 
Paris Hilton in there every night of the week, mm -hmm. practically, um, all, the, all the beautiful people. And then you went out of the country, I guess, for a little while, and you came back and you opened Kamsa, which was a bistro. Correct. French bistro that's still operating in Cosmopolitan. Correct. Okay, so how do you go from Robuchon, which is super fine French dining, and why do you go from Robuchon, which is super fine French dining, into doing the, a more hipster, trendy Asian thing? You know, if we were talking about the contrast between, you know, old school and new school foodies, you know, the old school guys go to Robuchon restaurants, the new school people were hanging out at Social House. Well, when I first got into the industry, so actually, before I went to culinary school, I told my mom, I told my family that I wanted to be a chef. And growing up in a Chinese family, a very traditional Chinese family, they were all very disappointed. <laughs> um, you know, with the traditional Chinese families, you either have to be an architect, an attorney, doctor, or, you know, just something, a blue-collar profession. And when I told my family, they all laughed at me. And they were thinking that I was going to be that kid, you know, on the corner of the street, you know, selling noodles. And, uh, and little did they know, you'd be the kid in the hair salon selling noodles. <laughs> <laughs> My, how you proved them wrong, Sharon. <laughs> so I went off to culinary school, and after that, you know, I stuck around in a lot of French restaurants, and, uh, you know, I really wanted to show my family that I was working in these great kitchens. Mm -hmm. um, Were they impressed? No. Uh, it <laughs> took a while. It took a while. Yeah. And, you know, went off, uh, stayed in New York City for a little bit, worked in Boston, um, and also in Los Angeles. Um, when I heard Joe Robuchon was opening up his first restaurant in the United States, you know, it was something that I couldn't pass up. Um, at the time, I was working for Chef David Myers mm -hmm. out in L.A., his original restaurant. And me and, uh, you know, one of my good friends that I used to work with in New York, um, he had told me that Joe Robuchon was opening out here. So we came out here to apply at the same time. Uh, we did a tasting, and uh, we were both offered a job. He did pastry. You know, I was in savory. And... You know, it was just... And who was this friend? Uh, his name's Ben. Okay. And uh, he's the pastry chef over at Satai. Okay. Over in uh, Wall Street right now, so... Okay. And so, okay, so, you, so you're at Robichon, and I want to get to how you transition out of there, but I guess i got to ask you first, what's it like in a Robichon kitchen? Because I have heard stories. I mean, I, I mean, I, Joel, Mr. Robichon, as I should call him, I, I'm not that close with him, even though he does kiss the mohawk. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, he's, he's a super kind, very wonderful person every time I meet him. But I have heard that in the kitchen, he is like, uh, I mean, uh, just out of control with everything. If something comes to the counter 30 seconds late, he just trashes an entire course and tells Absolutely. you to start over. He's, um, he's the perfectionist. He's, uh, you know, he's the greatest chef in the world. And in his kitchen, it was so, it was so intense. Um, you know, it was a very silent kitchen. You only spoke if the chef spoke to you. Um, you know, everything was in French as well. So you, know, you had to learn you know, on du trois. You had to learn you know, all of the menu items. Right. Um, but What's I'll it say, like going in if you don't speak French? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I apologize. <clears throat> well, you, if you didn't speak French, then you were lost. Yeah. You, know, you had to learn it right away. And uh, in his kitchen, it was, you know, it was so precise. You know, everything was measured, you know, by the inch. You know, everything was measured to the gram. 
Uh, we did, like on one of the dishes, we cut scallions. And the scallions, they would use like the white part of the scallion, the bottom, mm -hmm. and it would be one inch. And you would use a ruler to measure that one inch, you know, before cutting, uh, cutting it into a chiffonade. Um, you know, another dish that we did was, uh, that I had to do every single day was the lettuce puree. And that was not very fun. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so the way we would do it, just because the kitchen space was so limited, uh, you know, I was only left with about this much space to work with. Um, I put my stock of water, oh, stock pot full of water on the stove, um, just heavily salted. And then we would blanch romaine lettuce and uh, bib lettuce for the lettuce puree. But one head of lettuce went in, and that was it. And until that was cooked through, I would take it out, ice it, chill it down to preserve the color. I would dump the water out and then stir it with a fresh batch of water. So every single head of lettuce started with a fresh batch of water. And that's how, that's how precise everything was. And he was looking for you know, the best, to get the best out of every single ingredient. And, and you know what I love about, uh, about Robichon restaurants is that you don't, that he doesn't have a kitchen table where you can sit in the kitchen like some French chefs do and watch it, but right next door to Joël Robichon is the Talier de Joël Robichon. And if you guys think that what he's talking about sounds intense, sit in the Talier and those, you sit in a bar that goes around the chefs and the chefs are there, very silent, very quiet, pulling tweezers out of their pockets and plucking teeny little ingredients and placing them exactly the same space. And you actually can watch this insanity. I mean, it's like, it, you guys seem crazy. I it's mean, you're an incredible <laughs> artist, but not like the kind of drunken rock stars I grew up with. Like, you know, like, so absolutely, you know, so much discipline goes into that stuff. And for you to say it's a very silent kitchen, because I have sat in kitchens, and they're usually very noisy and a lot of cursing going on. Uh -huh. So none of that in Mr. Robichon's kitchen? None, none at all. Well, you would never even hear a pot, like, you know, hitting another pot. Or, you know, it was just <laughs> totally silent. And it well, was insane. It did, so did it make you nuts? It did. Did, is that why you left? I mean, is that why you said I want to go to Social House, where they're completely crazy and we're hanging it out with Paris Hilton opposite, and yeah. God knows what she's cutting out in the ladies' room? I mean, <laughs> so you moved to Social House. So just real quickly, what's it like working in that celebrity culture that you were at Social House? When um, yeah, I opened Social House with Chef Joe Lovato and I love um, Chef Lovato, great chef. Their chef Ben Dag. Uh, it was so much fun. It was probably one of the you know, best experiences opening up a restaurant I've ever had. Um, you know, it's completely opposite as the, the Robichon kitchen. Um, over there we did you know, up to 800 covers on a Saturday night. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was intense in a different way um, where we pushed a lot of food out of that kitchen, but it was really good food at the same time. Um, you know, we took in a lot of celebrities and um, you know, a lot of times we cook privately for them as well, and that was very fun. Craziest story you're allowed to tell? Ooh. I did not see this in person. I was okay. too busy working in the kitchen, but I've heard it from, you know, some of the sushi chefs that were out at the counter. Mm -hmm. uh, one day, Gene Simmons, Halloween, uh, he came in, and he was, you know, he was really dressed as himself. <laughs> and 
Dennis That's the Rodman. beauty of being Gene Simmons, right? Exactly. <laughs> Dennis Rodman came in just as Gene Simmons as well, same night, Halloween. Wow. And they both uh, crossed each other, and then they turned back, <laughs> and they looked at each other face to face. <laughs> and they just nodded, and they just kept walking. Wow, but that, that, was, uh, that was pretty cool. That was a great restaurant. And, um, of course, now it's still open at Treasure Island at Kohato, Kohato or something? What's the name I think it, it became Kotan, but Kotan. Okay. You know, that's no more as well. It's a oh, shame because really? it's a beautiful, beautiful restaurant. Gorgeous room. Great designers. I, I can't remember who designed it. Um, uh, I, I, Avro Co. out of New York. Yeah, Avro Co., right. Um, incredible, beautiful room. And you know what I liked about that place? Just a little bit of trivia. If anybody was ever there or if you're ever able to get there, there's a back private party room, which has had its DJ booth and all of this stuff and a great little coke doing bathroom if you wanted to do that so you didn't have to be with the masses and it and that used to be Steve Wynn's boardroom when he ran Mirage and that was in Treasure Island and that was his private boardroom that they converted to the crazy party room yeah there. exactly so and there are a bunch of um, they made a chandelier out of opium pipes yes <laughs> so that definitely should have told you what you were getting yourself into if you rented out that room um, so then you went over to to work with David Myers again I mean, um, you, you left the country, you went to Mexico, right? Well, after Socials, I helped open Encore, a restaurant called Wazuzu. Oh, yeah, was, with Jet uh, Tila, a great friend Jet, of the show. Yeah, yeah um, so pan doing Pan-Asian. So, yes. You know, similar, I guess, to what you were doing at Social House. It was. It was, uh, whereas Socials, we did a lot of, a lot more Japanese-influenced cuisine. Um, over at Wazuzu, it was a really good balance. It was kind of like the best hits of Asia. Yeah, we took it from China, Japan, Korea, Thailand, all, right. you know, all of Southeast Asia. So. And that was great. So I'm going to fast forward you a little bit. You left the country, you came back, you worked for David Myers, you opened a French bistro, a place we also love with a good friend of the show, also Brian Howard. Yes. You worked with him over there. Um, and then do you, do you want to talk about why you left there and why you decided to go solo? Well, at the time, it was the biggest thing I've ever taken on. It was a 270-seat restaurant. And when, at the time I was in Mexico, when Chef David gave me a call, I uh, said, you know, you're the only guy that could open any of my restaurants. And I headed out. You know, I said, yes, you know, I'll do it. Um, and the restaurant, of course, is Kamsa that we're talking Kamsa, about. Kamsa, yeah. Right. Awesome place. Really good food. Um, at the, but at the same time, it was a disappointment. Um, we... The, pro, the numbers that were projected for a restaurant, it was way crazy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, fortunately, in this economy, you can't fill a 270-seat restaurant right. you know, every single night. Um, but it was a really good experience, made a lot of good friends. Um, but at the same time, I you know, there were a lot of things that happened. Say, like, Wall Street Journal came out and, you know, came to me and, you know, asked me some interview questions. You know, the next week... I flip open Wall Street Journal. My name is replaced by somebody else's name. Mm. And, you know, there Ooh. were things like oh, that. Oh, dude, that I have really, to yell at David for you. <laughs> <laughs> there were, yeah, you know, things that just irritated me so much right. that I couldn't do it again. I couldn't, even after that restaurant, I had offers. I mean, for, a lot of politics is what you're saying. I mean, when you're yeah. dealing with the Cosmopolitan opening, projected as the last giant opening here in Las Vegas for probably maybe at least a decade, maybe more. I mean, nobody's building, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and here you are in this high-profile restaurant, high-profile celebrity chef, and so a lot more politics than cooking. Exactly. And also, you know, I was getting to a point where I lost myself. 
you know, I was no longer cooking in the kitchen. I was, you know, 16, 18 hours a day, you know, running around doing administrative duties. And, you know, I really wanted to get back and cook. So, which really led me to Great Val. So, yeah, so you get out, and, I mean, you've told me this story before, but, you know, you decide, wow, everybody's getting into the food truck scene. What the hell? Food trucks are great. I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm going to be the next food truck mogul, right? That's your thought? Not exactly. No? <laughs> but it was my thought to be my own boss. Okay. And, uh, you know, that was my whole thinking. Um, you know, even if I made $100 a day and I could pay my bills, I would have been okay, mm -hmm. as long as I was my own boss. And, you know, I took part of my savings, uh, put that into a food truck, and I thought I got a really good deal on it. <laughs> and, you know, I drove it around, I used it, you know, I said, okay, this is a great truck. But after the truck was handed to me, one part just break, broke down after another. That's what everybody tells me about food trucks. I mean, it's like buying that sweet car you've had your eye on, you know. I trust me, my wife, don't even get my wife talking about buying classic cars. And, uh -huh. you know, you buy something and it seems cool, and then next thing you know, it costs you ten times what you invested in it to keep it running. Exactly. It's exactly what happened to me. And, you know, what started as a small investment, it turned into my entire, you know, bank account being put in, into this truck. And it was at a point where I couldn't put any more money into it. Um, I was negative. Uh, I was negative on my credit cards. Welcome to 2012, brother. <laughs> <laughs> all, all you people out there negative on your credit cards, raise a glass at that point. At this point. So, um, so, yeah, how do you end up in a hair salon? <clears throat> well, I figured that the next step for me, because the truck wasn't going to work out, it was either to go back to work, that, which I didn't want to do, um, or just look outside the box and you know, figure out a way to do a business uh, involving food. Um, you told went, me you found it online, right? I did. I went on Craigslist, uh, looked at a bunch of restaurant spaces. I have found some creepy things on Craigslist, but never a fine business opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> I struck gold with this. Yeah. And you and I obviously cruise different areas on <laughs> Craigslist. That's all I know, man. Uh, yeah, so I went on Craigslist, looked at a bunch of restaurant spaces. You know, everything was either overpriced or, you know, just wasn't the kind of space I was looking for. Uh, finally, I see this space, you know, cafe for lease inside of a salon. So at first, you know, I clicked on it, I gave them a call, said, hey, you know, can I come take a look? And walking away from that first, that first look of the cafe space, I said, no way. You know, there's no way anybody is gonna come eat inside of a salon. And, you know, ah, just, but the smell of perms in the air is <laughs> so appetizing. Perm mixed with <laughs> smell of pork fat. Right. Can't get any better. Mm-mm, a permy <laughs> pork fat, yum. So um, let's talk about what bow are, because I know we're running a little low on time now because your story is just so damn interesting. Um, what, what is a bao? Well, bao, it's a Chinese sandwich. Um, traditionally, it's a white, fluffy steamed bun, and it's filled with pork belly, some crushed peanuts, uh, cilantro, and preserved mustard greens. Um, you find this all throughout Taiwan and you know, parts of China as well. So it's a street food, or is it a sit-down food? It's typically it's a street food. You'll find it at night markets, or you know somebody will just have a cart on the street, and it's absolutely delicious. It's one of the best things 
that I've ever had in my life. Bao seemed to really have permeated kind of a, a many Asian countries, though, I guess because of China's influence in the region, right? I mean, you find it in Malaysia. I mean, you find Bao pretty much all over all Asia. All over Asia, yeah. yeah. Um, different, are there different names for it, different places? Uh, yes. I mean, out in Hawaii, they call it uh, Manapua or, um, I mean, Bao. Uh, you know, a lot of the dim sum restaurants, you have the Tashi Bao. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Philippines, they call it. Can't think of the name. Okay, right now. but but it's something you're gonna find. Is it always that steam bun? Because that bun, and it, you know, again, if people saw the picture, it's very reminiscent of um, when you go into a Chinese restaurant that only has one type of dim sum. Because dim sum is, of course, very broad. But when you only go into one type, you know, a place that has one type of dim sum, it'll be kind of a steam bun stuffed with pork, right? Like a yes. round steam bun with pork injected inside it. Yes. You're using that same kind of bun, but almost in like a taco, fold over sandwich type situation. Not to bastardize your culture, I'm sorry there, uh -huh. but um, you know, you're, you're using that same basic type of bun that people are familiar with mm -hmm. if their local Chinese restaurant makes dim sum, right? Yes. And you know, when I opened a great bowl, I definitely preferred this style because every single thing that we have, all of our fillings, all of our garnishes are made fresh. And you know, let's say the pork belly or the duck, they're all, you know, cooked to order. So people could see and they could smell and taste the freshness of it. Whereas something that's enclosed, it could be, you know, three days old, five days old, right. who knows. And now what's your, um, a couple quick questions before we have to go. Um, what is your setup like in that little window <laughs> that I saw that you're making these things? How do you make these bound? How do you, and you know, how, you have what, five different types of fillings, I guess, that yes. you offer? So, so what you, were you cooking on a hot plate like me in my college dorm room? Or? Exactly, yeah. That's all I have um, inside of my little space. Um, I work off of one electric burner, have one saute pan, and a steamer. And, uh, you know, from this, we've made you know, what I feel and what I believe to be you know, something pretty phenomenal. And people all over the world have come to eat at Great Bell. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing in a very short period of time, tons of attention. Um, run through what, this, the, what types of value offer real quick, just, you know, because like I said, I think you have five there. Mm -hmm. uh, five different fillings, um, and then change the fillings all the time. Uh, right now we have pork belly, we have roast duck. Uh, vegetarian option is tofu mushroom. Uh, we have a pulled pork, and we have a chicken option as well. You also have some incredible sesame noodles there, especially the first time I had them with that chicken because you have great marinated chicken. Sesame noodles with the chicken, seriously, people. You go for the bow, but if you come back a second time, you're gonna, you gotta have it. It's absolutely amazing, perfect well, spiciness. Um, I love the place. Now you've got the tr truck back up and running again. What, you didn't learn your lesson the first time? Nah, it's because, <laughs> so I've tried to sell the truck many times, but the amount of money <laughs> that I put into the truck I know if I sold it, I can never get that amount of money back. So I just have to suck it up and work with the truck. Yeah. Um, the truck owns you. You don't own the truck. Sometimes I feel that way. Um, and you're out. Where, where are you going to be? Where are you going to be bringing the truck? Um, actually, tomorrow we're going to be at the downtown Third Farmers Market. Um, a few other trucks are going to be there. Um, have you been out to the farmers market? Um, I not the new one, not downtown Third. No, I haven't uh, made you it have out to come there tomorrow. yet. Okay, well, I've got a charity thing in there morning. What time do you guys start? Well, we're there from... You know what, we can talk about okay. but tell them what time it starts, uh, please. <laughs> it's from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Okay. And on Saturday, we're doing um, the Tommy Rockers Beer Garden with Jolene. Jolene, yes. And that's going to be from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. 
Cool. Well, that's great. You also do catering. Um, it's greatbow.com if people are interested in looking it up, right? Yes. Um, man, congratulations. Seriously, it's like guys like you that give people hope that Vegas isn't all just about corporate bull. I can't say that word, right, Scott? We're going to be on the radio. Um, but anyway, um, amazing job, man. It's, it's, so, it's so thrilling to see you get all this attention nationwide, and I'm glad that you know, we can help bring a little attention to you here. Great Bow Cafe, and you know, go get your hair done. I don't know if they could do these colors, but they can do normal stuff over there. Pretty, pretty damn well, I'm sure. And um, in the meantime, you know, almancini.net, you can find me. Um, follow me on Twitter, almancinivegas. Next week, hopefully, Vic Vegas will be here. I'm also toying with the idea of bringing a beef expert in to teach Scott a little something because I was watching his show and he doesn't seem to understand beef all that well. So we got a lot planned for the next couple weeks. Stay tuned here at the Vegas Video Network, um, top of the food chain, every Thursday, 7 p.m., and they got a whole bunch of other shows you're going to want to see. Man, thanks a lot for coming. Awesome. Thank you for having me here. Cheers.